What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Sanchez of The Bad Promoter coming at you with a special guest. We have Shawnee Monahan, the former WBC Continental and NABO light heavyweight champion. With a career record of 29-3, and Shawnee defended the Continental belt seven times and has faced numerous contenders in his career, including Marcus Brown, Sullivan Barrera, and Callum Johnson. He also famously portrayed Cassius Clay's opponent, Henry Cooper, in the film One Night in Miami. Shawnee, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, bro. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, before we get into everything with your professional career, I'd love to dive into your background a bit. How did you first get into boxing, and what drew you to the sport? Boxing was really my only true love when it came to sports. I, I, I mean, I loved Michael Jordan and stuff when I was a kid, and I watched some baseball and some football, but I was a Mike Tyson fanatic since the time I was a little kid. My um, my father was the oldest of a big Irish family, and he was the first one to come to New York. And they all followed him out here one by one, all of his younger brothers and cousins and stuff. So we would have these big wild parties on the weekends. And I remember when I was a little kid, I'd be upstairs in my pajamas, and one of my uncles would come get me and bring me down and watch Mike Tyson knock a guy out. And I would just, I fell in love with the sport ever since that early age. That's awesome, man. That makes sense. I mean, how could how could anyone not love uh, Mike Tyson? Um, that's awesome. So I know you've mentioned previously that you kind of got into boxing a little later, or at least professionally. I think you you mentioned you uh, became a pro boxer at twenty eight. Yeah. Um. So bring us back to that time, and you know, how were you able to make that jump? I was kind of just like part time boxing. You know, I did the Golden Gloves. I had a good fight. You know, I made it to the finals at a close fight with Joe Smith which I lost, unfortunately. And then the following year, Joe and I, everyone was hoping to see the rematch. And then we both lost the same night, yeah. like back to back in my hometown. Well, not my hometown, but where my gym is in Freeport. And um, they were kind of bringing us along, hoping to get the rematch for the crowd. And then Joe, I remember I was, I was next up in line. So I was, I was waiting there with my gloves on and everything. And I watched Joe's fight and this guy just ran for his life. And Joe lost his decision. Yeah. And then I fought some guy, and the guy did the same thing. He just ran for his life. and then we, So we both lost. And it was a big disappointment for everybody. Yeah, that's a and, bummer. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I was like, you know, 26 years old at the time, 27 years old. And I said, you know, I'm, if, if I'm going to keep on doing this, it's a lot of hard work. If I'm going to do this, I got to get stuck getting paid for it. So mm-hmm. I approached a local guy that I know, a local business owner that I know that I knew, and I asked him if he would manage me if I went professional. That was PJ Cavanaugh. He owns a bunch of bars in, in Long Beach where I'm from and a couple of big sports bars down in Florida and stuff. So PJ agreed to it and then I told Coach Joe, my amateur trainer, that I wanted to go pro and we just went for it. Yeah, so uh, you know, during the first three years uh, as a pro, I see you fought sixteen times, which is a lot for uh boxers, especially in this era. So how was it uh, recovering and preparing for fights that quickly into your career? Well, most of the most of them were pretty quick, you know, like first and second round knockouts. You know, you could fight the next day if they had something available. You know, it's just it's a it's a tough business, and I was very fortunate that I brought a big crowd with me because mm-hmm. there were guys that I came up with who won the gloves two or three times, national Golden Gloves, and they couldn't sell a ticket to their own mother. You know what I mean? So no promoters really cared. Unless you're like a superstar Olympian, mm-hmm. they're not making an investment in you. And, you know, it costs them money to get you fights at first if you're not bringing a crowd. So a lot of guys never really get a chance. So I kind of paid my own way. I brought a big crowd with me. So 
anytime there was a fight, the prom- and I, I stayed unsigned at first, which mm-hmm. was very, very big for me. Because anytime there was a fight, they would call my manager and say, Sean, available? So, yeah, yes, I am. So that's how I was able to have so many fights. I think I had seven or eight fights my first year, which is great. That's awesome. What, what do you think uh, it was about either your fighting style or like what you meant to the community? Like what, what was the main attraction um, in your eyes for that? I've, I've grew up in, I've grown up in Long Beach my whole life and I've got a big family. So I know a lot of people out here. So that's how it started. Okay. But I think, um, you know, without trying to brag too much, I think I, I think I won over the crowd just with my effort most of the time, you know, because I got it. It became more than just a Long Beach thing. It became like a whole New York thing. And people, you know, I got a million, you know, messages and private messages from people and stuff just saying they love the way that I fight. And um, I always came, you know, I always came to try to bring the action. And um, another thing that people said, which is, I guess, is kind of unusual, was I didn't really try to trash talk my opponents. I genuinely had respect for guys who were in there. So, you know, I, I, I tried my best to. to kind of handle it like a gentleman not be like a trash talking kind of guy too so maybe that might have been a, di- a bit different than what's going on these days but mm-hmm. whatever it was whatever it was the people seemed to appreciate it so um like i said man i just i couldn't have done it without without the boxing crowd out there you know cheering me on it, it really really put jet fuel in my in my tank that's awesome can you can you tell us a story about uh you know when you felt uh you were you were at your your absolute best and who was that opponent, and how was that fight for you? It's kind of hard to say. I mean, physically, I remember when I when I first signed with Top Rank, they gave me a nice signing bonus, and I was going to fight on, I think it was uh, Timothy Bradley and Marquez undercard in Vegas, and I'd never even been to Vegas before. I was so excited. So the fight wasn't for six months, so I went crazy. I was just training, 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 training every day like a monster. So I was the best shape I was ever in. But still at that point, I didn't really have the experience that I developed later on. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a much easier way to do things in boxing than to just try really hard, you know? So unfortunately, those two things didn't really peak at the same time for me. I was a beast. I was a young monster, you know, in my early 30s. But I got much better at fighting later on. But by that time... I was already in my late 30s and, you know, making the weight became a big problem for me. So it's important to start young in boxing um, and to learn the right way. A lot of people go to the gym and they just work really hard. They don't really have a teacher. Mm. You know, it's important to really learn from someone who's been there and knows little tricks that work. It's, it's boxing's all about having a big bag of tricks and, you know, being in shape to do them. Who were some people along the way that helped you learn those tricks? My coach, Joe Higgins, he was um, a Marine. So he got me in shape. It suited my style perfectly because all I wanted to do was come forward and destroy people. So he got me in shape to do that. But also, you know, Joe was the president of USA Boxing Metro at the time. And he had all the connections with every gym in New York. So we got all the best sparring. Like even in the amateurs, I was sparring Danny Jacobs and Curtis Stevens. And I used to spar Marcus all the time before I fought him. And I, I sparred Tony Bellew when he came out here. I sparred, you know, he just had all these connections for, for all the best local work. And we would throw these, these big sparring parties on Saturday mornings in Freeport where everybody from all around, Joe Smith would come out from Suffolk County. 
And it was really, really impressive stuff. I mean, we never videotaped anything in Joe's gym back in the day, but it's a shame because we had some real gym wars with really top-level guys who went on to become champions and, and top-level contenders. It was a really fun time. Man, that's sick. It's like it's almost like if you know, you know. You know what I mean? Like the people that were there. Yeah, bro. Um, so looking looking at that, whether it was uh, as an amateur, pro, or in those sparring, uh, who who's the toughest opponent you'd say you, you faced in your time? Uh, I'd say towards the end of my career, they flew me up to Canada and I sparred with better be for a week. Oh, wow. And I think they gave me $1,500 and it was not worth the money. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's a monster, man. He, um, I did well with them. You know, we did, I think we did like a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And the last day I did eight rounds with him. Mm-hmm. And, um, he just hits extremely, extremely hard. He doesn't even have to try. And he's very calm and, He's um probably the scariest dude I was ever in there with. I remember when we went there, um, he's got a great um pad guy that works with him. He was a good fighter too back in the day. This guy, Iceman John Scully. So he mm-hmm. picked us up from the airport and he was he was being serious too. He's like, guys, listen, I just I know you're tough. He goes, That's why we flew you up here. He goes, But um this guy's sending people home in body bags. He's like, I'm serious. He goes, please be please be careful. He goes, keep your hands up. He was just really, you know, just try to box your best and just be safe, you know? So I was thinking to myself, where the fuck is this guy taking me right now? Dracula's castle right now? It was like dark. It was wintertime. I was like, what the, where the hell? What am I doing up here? So it was pretty intimidating. He didn't really speak English. He would come into the gym and start doing splits and all these kind of crazy workouts and this tennis ball thing that he used to do. But mm-hmm. I, I, did my, I did my thing with him. I was still undefeated at the time. I wasn't really worried about nothing, you know, at that time. So... I did my thing with him. He was, so he was, I definitely said the top of the heap. And then for around here, Marcus always gave me trouble. Marcus is so fast. And the Southpaw, I still hate Southpaws. And um, talented, strong, everything. Marcus is always a problem. And um, just some guys, um, like there was this one guy, Claude, in my gym just for some reason. He was an amateur. I don't think he even won the gloves. But this kid hit so hard, it was insane. I felt like he didn't have gloves on. Yeah. So some guys you don't even know about who are just like stupidly strong or stupidly fast, you know? As for the other top level pros, I, I mean, I'd say Curtis probably. Okay, nice. Curtis had crazy punch of power. The first time I, w- I went to Coney Island, spot Curtis one time 100 years ago, and he turned my ear black with a, with a left hook. Yeah. I came home, my wife was like, what's the matter with your ear? I was like, what? And I looked in the mirror, it was black. It's like, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, so Curtis crazy. is a problem. So uh, what, do, what do you think uh, is the difference for, uh, you know, fighters making it out of like the amateur ranks? Uh, is it just sometimes uh, you don't make the right connections, something goes wrong along the way? Uh, what what stops and or helps people to get over that hump? Well, it really is a different sport. You know, in the amateurs, every point, every punch is a point. So a jab and I think even a knockdown only counts as one point. So you can get dropped in the amateurs and get back up. And the guy throws two jabs and, and he's ahead now. Hmm. So it's, it's it's a different game, and uh, it's a different pace. It's a, it's there's different tricks that you could use in in pro box with the little gloves. I, I I'll never forget my first time putting on those little gloves. I was shocked. They couldn't get them on. They, I had to have two coaches hold each hold the side of the glove, and I had to force my hand until I couldn't believe it. They felt like like winter mittens. 
was like, yeah, I'm going to kill somebody in these things. They're so small. It was wild. So it's definitely amateur boxing definitely gets you ready for the pros, no doubt about it. But it's definitely a different sport. You get some tough little hard rock guy from the middle of nowhere, and he could he could beat a good amateur anytime because they just they're just hard, man. So it's a long, long night. The gloves are smaller. It's uh, it's almost like two different sports. Yeah. So uh, one of one of my favorite topics to like either talk about or read about or write about as uh, politics and the sport of boxing. And uh, that can mean whether it's promoters not working with each other, uh, TV networks, you know, steering fighters one way or another, or just fighter contracts, keeping a guy either underpaid or just away from uh, certain challenges or, or certain triumphs. Uh, what can you tell us about the industry as someone who lived through it and maybe how this has affected you and your career? Yeah. I mean, it definitely affected me. I, um, I was I was thrilled when when Top Rank signed me, and they're the best promoters in the world. They really looked after me well. They still look after me well to this day. If there's ever a fight at MSG, they invite me. They give me great seats and hotel room and everything. Just unfortunately, at the time when I was signed with them, I think I was 18 and 0 when I signed with them. And over the next four or five fights, I became ranked in the top 10 and in the top five in the world. But at the time, the two champions were both with Golden Boy. And Golden Boy and Top Rank weren't doing business at that time. So it was unfortunate. There was a third champion out there at the time, this guy Jürgen Bremer from Germany. And we were trying to make a fight with him, but, you know, they play by their own rules out there in Europe too. He never mm-hmm. had to fight anybody, that guy. He just held on to the belt. So for all those years when I was really kind of peaking, I never got to fight a world champion. I fought two former world champions. I fought Donovan George and this guy Valencia Zuniga who um, were both pretty tough. But, you know, I never got to fight for the world title. It's a shame, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah, I mean, you want, you had some some big fights, though, in your career and, uh, you know, some some triumphs out there. Uh, is there one fight that in particular, like, stuck out for you? No, I mean, I remember um, I remember the... Um, I fought Elva Mariki. And... He, there's the hardest, it wasn't, it wasn't a punch, it was a headbutt. It was the, the, mo- the most pain I've ever felt in a boxing ring. I threw something and he ducked down and he came back up and his head just cracked me in the eye. I actually cracked two bones um, on my eye. My orbital bone got cracked in two spots. And it was like the ninth round. And that hurt really, really bad. And there was blood everywhere. And... I went back to my corner, and the referee never called it a headbutt. He just, I don't know if he thought it was a punch or what. He didn't see it. So I remember it was chaos. It was in the Barclays Center. It was really, really loud. And I went back to the corner, and the referee was looking at it. And he said, can you see my fingers? It's holding up. I don't know. It looked like he had 20 fingers. I couldn't see anything. And he said, can you see my fingers? And it was so loud, I just pretended like I didn't hear him. I said, what? He said, can you see how many fingers? And I said, huh? And then the bell rang, and my coach just pushed me out into the ring. And it was the last round, so I just I just boxed for three more minutes, and the bell rung, and I knew I was way ahead. I dropped him and everything earlier in the fight, so but I, I kind of snuck through that one. But it was a headbutt, but the ref didn't see it, so that was a close call. So that was always one I was happy I got away with. Would you say that was uh, the the worst injury you faced in your career, or yeah, that was bad. I've never really been hurt. That's that was one thing about me. I was always pretty resilient that's why a lot of guys like to spar with me they would mm. i didn't really have to go anywhere they would bring all these guys to freeport to spar with me because they knew i could do as many rounds as you wanted and you couldn't really hurt me with a punch it was only later on in my, i never got dropped in the gym ever it was only 
later on in my career when I started cutting, you know, lots and lots of weight, you know, the day of the weigh-in, I would I would wake up sometimes and still have seven, eight pounds to go, and yeah. I just felt like I was going to faint, you know. So that those last couple of fights, I really wasn't at my best. I was already thirty-seven years old. I was also fighting much tougher guys. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. these guys, these guys were beasts, but. I didn't feel like myself anymore. I just couldn't make the weight comfortably anymore. So that, that really that kind of takes the strength out of you. How how would you cut weight at those moments? Uh I the way I used to do it was, you know, you, you start eating smaller meals towards the end. You have to eat while you're training, or, or else you're not going to be able to train. I was doing three workouts a day, and you have to eat. But towards the end, you've got to start cutting back on calories, and then. I would do like a 24-hour fast. I would, wouldn't eat, eat or drink anything. You know, if the weigh-in was at 1 o'clock on Friday, at 1 o'clock on Thursday, I'd have my last little meal. Hmm. And then I would dry out overnight, and then I would wake up, and hopefully I would only have you know three or four pounds to go, and I would just run that off in the treadmill. But towards the end, I mean, the last couple of fights, I would wake up the morning of the weigh-in. After not eating for like a week, I would wake up and I'd be seven pounds, eight pounds. My last fight, I was eight pounds over the morning of the way, and I wanted to cry. I was like, oh, you know. So it, it really, it really takes the fun out of the sport when you when you're miserable like that. And you know, when you have a family and kids and stuff like that, you're miserable for for two months straight. It's it's not a pleasant experience for anybody. Yeah, no, yeah, that sounds sounds absolutely crazy. So I know you mentioned that like top break will take you out to, uh, you know, fights at the garden or things like that. Are there any active fighters out there right now that, uh, you know, you look at as uh, like, Oh yeah, like that guy's my favorite out there right now, or maybe someone that fans should be looking out for. To be honest with you, man, I've, I've kind of really disconnected from the sport. I was, I was kind of struggling when I, when I retired, I took some time off and I, I was really, really thinking about making a comeback because I don't know. I just still, I, I just, I knew I wasn't at my best in those last couple of fights. And you know, the same old thing guys always think you think you can come back and do it again. But once uh, Patrick day passed away in my gym, that was kind of it for me. I, I promised my wife and my mother that I would never do it again. And it was hard for me to even watch boxing, you know, for a while, you know, so I, I just kind of just switched it off. And I, I don't really even watch the big fights that much anymore. I watched, um, who did I watch? I watched the Ryan Garcia Tank fight. And Tank Tank's probably my favorite fighter right now. I would say. Mm. Um, I love Lomachenko. I know he took a loss there, or whatever too. But um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really that up on it these days, to be totally honest with you. No, yeah, I mean that makes sense. Uh, you know, seeing seeing something tragic like that, and especially as I could imagine someone like you who who's a competitor and just being in that community. Yeah, I mean that's. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, so I kind of, I kind of lost my mojo with it there. I, I don't really even watch the big fights anymore. If there's a big, big fight, I'll watch it. You know, but um, and I watch like the dumb Jake Paul stuff and stuff like that, just because. Yeah. You know, that's where the party's at. People are putting that on, but. No, hundred percent. For the most, I don't really keep up with the up and coming guys like I used to. Do you watch any other types of combat sports, like uh, any mixed martial arts or anything like that? I watch whatever's on. I'm, I'm I'm like a family guy. I like to hang out with my wife and my kids. I missed a lot of time with them when I was boxing. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I just I don't really care too much about what's going on in, in the sports world. If I go to a party somewhere and there's, and there's some kind of event on, I'll watch it. But I won't go out of my way to watch UFC or anything like that. I know I know the general idea of what's going on, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'm, I don't really care too much about any of that. No, that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, I understand uh, you're working towards, you know, having your own club and, uh, you know, just being 
being affiliated in that in that capacity. Uh, so, like, what's what's the motivation for you, and uh, what would that mean to you? Like I said, I I I was totally switched off of boxing for a while, but then a couple of people asked me to train them, mm -hmm. and I do have a, you know I I boxed for twenty years and I've learned so much. And I've, I've learned a lot of things the hard way. I could tell people, don't do this because this is because trust me, I've done it and this is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. you know, I've learned a, hard, a lot of hard lessons. So I know that I could be a very good trainer. And I've, you know, I started doing one guy and I started training another guy. And now I'm training a whole bunch of people and I really enjoy it. And I think I would actually be a really good trainer. I, I've actually kind of gotten back into boxing just through training, I'm watching old fights again and stuff like that. I just think maybe, maybe I just needed a long break from it, you mm -hmm. know. I, and people are gonna box regardless. Even 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 Patrick Day. I remember at his funeral, um, one of his brothers said that he was in Haiti, and his uncle said to him, "If I gave you a million dollars, would you stop boxing?" And Patrick said, "If you give me five million dollars, I wouldn't stop boxing. I want to become a world champion." So I remember that feeling. It wasn't wasn't even about the money. Obviously, we all want to make money, but. It was something inside of us. And when I meet a young kid who's determined to box mm -hmm. and I can help him, I'm going to help him out. That's awesome. Um, you know, you were mentioning uh, you have the experience, obviously, of like, you know, 20 years, 20 plus years in the sport, having some of those things that you've overcome. Like what if, if you don't mind, like what are some of those things that you would you would pass along as maybe some form of advice to younger fighters? Besides all the, the technique stuff that I've learned and the training routines that I've learned and stuff like that. It's, it's a lifestyle and a mentality that is an, uh, that, that it's two big keys to success in boxing. You got to put all the things together. You can have a guy who's super talented, but not disciplined and it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. You know, you've, you've got to really, you got to live the life. And, and I know, I know all the tricks. I know, I know how to make weight comfortably now. You know, I've, I've I learned so many things that took me a, a long time. And like I said, I had to learn the hard way. Like, even something as small as how to hold your hand correctly. I remember mm. holding my hand, you know, covering my jaw, and someone threw a big right hook at me, and I thought I was safe, and they cracked me in the temple and, and wobbled me. You got to really block the whole side of your face. So, like, little small little things that I wish I would have, that I wish I would have been drilled into me a little bit more when I was, when I was training, you know. And when I mm -hmm. train people now, I'm very, I'm very, meticulous with the small details because they make a big big difference like your hand being two inches higher or two inches lower can make or break your day so i, I really try to i come from a place of experience and i really really try to um, teach these kids correctly all the time and make sure they practice things perfectly all the time that, that makes perfect sense you know i mentioned earlier you played uh henry cooper in uh one night in miami can you tell us the story of how you got into that and like what that experience was like yeah, that was that was really really cool. Actually, um, you know Jerry Cooney, the famous fighter. Jerry Cooney's a great guy. Jerry always liked me from when I met him years ago. And Jerry called me up one day out of nowhere and said he had this opportunity for me. Would I be interested in playing Henry Cooper in a movie? So, I remember, you know, obviously not from when it happened, but I was a boxing, you know, like a historian. So I, I knew exactly who he was. I knew the whole fight. So I jumped at the opportunity, and it was a lot of fun. I got to meet a lot of cool people. I met Christopher from The Sopranos. Played. Um, and Angelo Dundee, um, Regina King was the director. She, uh, it was really cool to meet her. She was awesome. So the whole experience was really, really cool, and it was really cool to get to show my kids. I, I had big plans. I was going to have like a big movie premiere thing 
and show it to all my friends. But we were in New Orleans in February. And like a week after I got home, coronavirus exploded down yeah. there in New Orleans where we were filming. And then everything just went nuts. So I never even got to see the movie in a movie theater or anything like that. But, you know, it was still cool. And yeah, I mean, that that came at like such a weird time, uh, kind of derailed everything, um, especially like in the in sports and entertainment. Uh, yeah, that was that was crazy. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess as, as like a final question, um, what's uh, like anything you want to pass along to like the audience, uh, anything that sticks out to you? Maybe, maybe that's either advice or something you want to plug, you know, just just anything to tap into your mind a little bit. No, I just like I said, I was very, very fortunate. I had a lot of people who <clears throat> supported me, um, and anywhere I fought, I had a huge crowd of people cheering my name, and that really motivated me. It motivated me on the on the cold mornings when I woke up and I didn't feel like going for a run. I had a I had an army behind me, so I'd just like to thank everyone for their support all throughout the years and everything. It really meant a lot to me. That's awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Thanks again for hopping on. Uh really means a lot. You got a bunny time. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Bad Promoter. As always, keep up with me online at thebadpromoter.com. Keep listening to the podcast on Spotify. Follow my sub stack and keep up with me on Instagram and Twitter at The Bad Promoter. Let's get it.